Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Hey, podcast listener. Do you love talking about movies, music, TV, comics, and games? Then you should be listening to The Great Pop Culture Debate, back in Bigger Than Ever for Season 9. This season, the panelists discuss the best James Bond film, the best Elton John single, the best Nickelodeon original series, the best Batman villain, and so much more. Find the show wherever you listen to podcasts or head to greatpopculturedebate.com. More than 100 topics are already available. Subscribe today. This episode of Busy Being Black contains references to situations and substances some might find uncomfortable to listen to in front of others. I'll give you a moment to plug in your headphones. Living in the fullness of our queer black lives means learning to live in the messiness. This was a lesson I learned as I dealt with my emotional fallout after watching Michael Rice's documentary, Party Boy. Party Boy explores and exposes the crystal meth epidemic that is ravaging the queer black community in the U.S. and the price we, as a community and as individuals, pay living beyond the margins. As someone who has struggled with addiction since my early 20s, Michael's powerful documentary sent me into quite the tailspin. It is only by the grace of God, I thought, that I am here behind a microphone and with a platform and not in a body bag. I open with the macabre to help illuminate the life-giving. We will save our own lives. I see that in people like Michael, who, after his friend died of an overdose, picked up a camera and went to find answers. I see that in my brothers at Blackout UK, who have launched a survey to find out how chemsex is affecting black folk in Britain. I see that in everyone at UK Black Pride and in the recent explosion of queer black voices in the UK. And I see that further afield in places like Trinidad and Tobago, where they are celebrating their momentous achievement. The lid, it seems, has blown off, and we are speaking perhaps more loudly and across more platforms and in more countries than ever. Our voices will be heard. Still, to understand where we're going, we need to be very clear about where we are. And if you think a crystal meth epidemic in the U.S. doesn't affect us here in the U.K., you'd be incorrect. Michael Rice's documentary so clearly illuminates the spaces and places where black and white lives collide and the attendant devastation that results from the purchase of black bodies to satiate white desires. I'm Josh Rivers, and I'm Busy Being Black with Michael Rice. And I was, I, I went to the screening yesterday, okay. fully prepared to be triggered. I was like, I'm ready. It's okay. okay. Whatever this documentary is going to deliver, I'm ready for it. And then realized that I wasn't actually triggered in the moment. Mm-hmm. I was stunned. I was. It's a, it's an amazing piece of work. Thank you so much. Um, but actually, I woke up this morning and I was like, 
my heart felt really heavy. Mm-hmm. Um, reflecting on the topics discussed mm-hmm. within Party Boy, um, but also the much larger conversation around race and sexuality and the mm-hmm. intersection of who we are and who we love and who we think we are. Yes. Um, it's not really a question, but it's a place to start. Right, right. No, I, I totally feel you. I totally understand. I totally understand. But, um, you know, it's, it's a work in progress. It's something I felt internally and spiritually led to do. Um, most of everything that I do, if I don't feel it internally, even if it's not a project that deals with, you know, drug abuse and helping the community, even if it's a project that an artist would hire me to come to direct their music video, I have to feel internally passionate about it, you know, in order to really put my spirit into it and put myself into it. With Party Boy, I kept seeing um, certain things within the community speak to me. I would look online and I would see people speaking in codes that I didn't understand. Terminology uh, relating to crystal meth such as PNP, Tina, ICE. Um, I didn't understand it, you know, and people ask me, you know, do you party? And I would, I would be like, yeah, of course I party. Sometimes if I'm, t- you know, if I'm not tired and I'm ready for the weekend, and they say, no, I don't mean that. I mean, do you do meth? And, I, and then that's when it hit me like, oh my gosh, is this what it's turning into now? Are the apps used as a segue to help infiltrate more people into doing crystal meth? And I said, someone needs to talk about this because the research that I did, majority of it talked about white gay men and crystal meth. None of it talked about black and Latino queer men using or being around crystal meth. I think it's funny because it reflects... Really, all research, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's just a microcosm of the erasure of black folk from mm-hmm. even today. Well, as far as I know, um, I'm speaking to a few individuals. Uh, one is a gentleman who is working at Columbia University, and he is actually figuring out and doing research um, and working with the CDC on black and Latino queer men who are using crystal methamphetamine in comparison to white queer men that are using crystal methamphetamine. And so that research is still out. When I did the research for Party Boy, I really had, I didn't have too much to go off of. I had a few articles from the New York Times. I've had a few articles, um, maybe one in Atlanta that spoke about it, one in D.C., and that was about it. Um, There was a statement from the CDC saying they're still collecting data and information regarding black and Latino queer men using crystal methamphetamine, but it's still out. You know, so I basically had to go off the verbiage of substance abuse counselors in New York City, uh, as well as the CDC articles that I found in the New York Times and people I knew in the community, people who I would see, you know, using crystal meth or speaking of using crystal meth on these dating apps, Grindr, Scruff, uh, Jacked, A A for A. And so, you know, that kind of was the catalyst for the start of this film when I started seeing people in my community become, you know, affected in such a negative way that I didn't even know how to control it. But I said, you know what, let me do my part as an artist. Mm -hmm. Let me speak on what I can speak on and show it visually to the world. So just maybe, maybe that one 19-year-old black boy who lives in, you know, Podunk, Florida, in a small town, (laughs) 
mm-hmm. and he's affected by it, and he makes a choice. I, I decide I'm not going to do crystal meth because I've seen this documentary. So that's one of my main intents. I think of the... I think I'm thinking of a number of things, but I'm thinking about how you kind of went out there and mm-hmm. just said, okay, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm going to do the research. I'm going to do it myself. Right. Um, and how that's quite, it's admirable. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. I really do. I really do. So it was just, um, just a process, you know, and I'm just really hoping that, you know, people will take hold to this film when they see it and that it will move them, you know, in physically, psychologically, uh, make them reflect. Because I think as human beings, you don't grow unless you reflect, mm. you know, in, in your process of growing. And that's what I'm making it for, you know. I'm not so much here to judge people, but here to create a conversation and a dialogue so we can figure out why you're using it. What do you think are the reasons why we ask ourselves questions rather than condemning? And I think that's the problem now with so many people condemning. Mm. I spoke about it in the documentary. Uh, we talk about black church. You know, mm-hmm. We talk about a lot of other institutions of people that's condemning right off the bat. That's right. But you know what we have to learn now in 2018 is that let's have a dialogue. Let's talk rather than point fingers. You and I have that in common in the black church. Oh. <laughs> My grandfather was a Baptist preacher, mm-hmm. church in Yoakum, Texas. Yeah. Back with us. I mm-hmm. That's podunk. <laughs> and I can, re- I, I remember what that exclusion from the church felt mm-hmm. like. I mean, mine wasn't um, an outright exclusion. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess that's what the favor of the, <laughs> right, right, right. of the pastor right. gives. But um, it was very much a, 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 that biblical exclusion was powerful Mm -hmm. Um, you mentioned last night the kind of trifecta the exclusion from the church Mm -hmm. the exclusion from the family and exclusion from kind of social spaces slash education Mm -hmm. or school yes school and you know um, the professor the adjunct professor at New School University uh, Michael Robertson um, he was featured in the documentary and he spoke you know on a slew of things and one of them was having three institutions that really kind of helped mold us to be um, teenagers and young adults and especially growing up, not saying that you have to have those institutions, but those are very important. And those are school, the family and church. And when you have the church telling you that you're an abomination to God, that you're going to burn in hell. If you have family saying that you're a batiman, you're a gay man, you're a faggot, you're a queer. And then if you have school telling you, you know, this is the history of gay people, they're dying of AIDS and this is the statistics in the data, you know, that hones in on someone's mental psyche, their physical psyche. You know, what does it do to them? Um, what does it say to their spirit, to their body of who they are? Who do we as gay men have role models to look up to? Mm-hmm. I know when I was uh, a kid, I remember seeing RuPaul on TV and being like, oh my God, I think he's gay. Or he's I a think. manager. <laughs> yeah. Not really being quite sure. I just... Being in this weird space or seeing this gentleman named Pedro from the real world San Francisco that was on MTV, um, an individual who was a reality um, personality that was battling AIDS. That's what I saw. You know, that's what I saw. That's what I saw. So when you talk about role models and things to look at, a lot of times we never had those. A lot of times we just were just like ciphering through the melee of life and just 
trying to figure it out. And some of us are okay, and some of us are great, and some of us are not okay. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think many of us are not okay. Mm-hmm. And I and I think you know it's just my hypothesis from right. okay. a being a gay man of color, but also trying to be part of the solution. Mm-hmm. I've noticed increasingly that there's so much that we're not talking about. Mm-hmm. And so I guess part of busy being black is really is me saying, okay, I'm not going to be silent about the things that are bothering me mm-hmm. or that, not even, not even that are bothering me, but that are affecting me, mm-hmm. that I'm struggling with. Because we have to be able to celebrate our joys and our pain. Right, that's so true. And it seems to me that so much of this celebration is missing something. Mm-hmm. It's, it, you know, it's, it's missing voices and people, and those people and those voices are not here. Mm-hmm. Because, you know... They were ignored. Yeah, that's think, true. Tell me how you got into making the documentary. Um, how I got into making the documentary was personal. Um, it dealt with a friend who was battling crystal meth addiction, and it got to a point to where it became life-threatening, and he ended up passing away. And I remember seeing the progression of it and not understanding, not fully understanding, not knowing why are you doing this? This doesn't make no sense. You have dreams of being a dancer. You have dreams of doing this. Why are you using this drug? Why are you with these individuals instead of hanging out with me? And one of the things I learned and I realized once those individuals start really honing in and using crystal methamphetamine, a lot of them really don't want to deal with the outside world and they don't want to deal with people who are not using meth themselves because they are going to feel stigmatized or judged. And I didn't see the individual for many, many months. And when I did, they called me out of the blue and they told me that they hadn't slept in days and that they haven't eaten in days. And when I met up with the individual and I fed them and we talked and they fell asleep on my sofa, that I didn't know at the time that that was the last time I was going to see the individual, you know. And they passed away of a meth overdose um, found in a bathtub at a sex party in New York. And I told myself at that moment, somebody has to do something about this. Somebody has to write, create, curate material comprehensive guides, a movie, a film, a short about us, people of color, black and Latino, queer individuals, and what we're battling and what we're struggling. And more than that, you know, what's the deeper issue? Needing a sense of belonging? Is it depression? You know? And these are the things that I want to create a space for conversation and dialogue. And not to judge but to create a space and to create dialogue and for everyone to, you know, give their opinions and, and facts and things that may not be facts so we can move forward and it becomes such a norm that it will be um, unnormal to not speak about it, you know. I mean, there's some who might say, well, this is all terribly dramatic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, who might feel that a documentary about... Um, crystal meth mm-hmm. and black gay men is so niche. Mm-hmm. Why does it matter? Right. Why should we pay attention to this at this moment right now? Yeah, because I feel like at any other time, something like this has never happened. Historically, black men were never using crystal methamphetamine. Historically, it's always been out in rural white America. Then it came into the urban setting of San Francisco and Los Angeles in the 80s and 90s. 
and then it migrated its way into the black and Latino queer community. And I feel like a lot of that is based off sex work, prostitution, poverty, um, these categories that lend themselves as segues to go into the African-American or I should just say the, the black and Latino communities and then infiltrate it. And you're dealing with a population of people that's never been exposed to this may not know how to handle themselves on this or have any harm reduction, you know, layouts of what to do, you know, to where people who've been doing it for years, they know that, okay, well, we're going to do this and we're going to keep my job and we're going to, you know, so, you know, those are different, the different aspects. Yeah. You also got two groups of people, if we were to make it binary, Mm -hmm. black and white, Mm -hmm. two groups of people with very different things to lose. Mm -hmm. Right. And so the maintenance of... Mm-hmm. If, you know, if we think about Jamel Moore, right, right, mm-hmm. and of the white man whose name doesn't deserve a mention in this space, mm-hmm. but about the role that he played in Jamel Moore's mm-hmm. short-lived life, yeah, and what he had to lose versus what someone like Jamel had to lose, mm-hmm. and what the societal perceptions of that loss looks like, right, right. You know, this this when we're talking about inequality yes. and disparities. Mm-hmm. It's very easy, I think, to make them economic mm-hmm. or to make them about justice, you know, because mm-hmm. they're, yeah. they're things that we can see and that we can mm-hmm. measure. Right. You're totally but, right. You know, Jamel Moore's potential mm-hmm. is immeasurable. He might not have understood his own, his own potential. Mm-hmm. And so I think this robbery, mm-hmm. this theft mm-hmm. of black people of black youth mm-hmm. it's really quite alarming yeah I you know I said today on Twitter it's probably the first time I've said it so publicly but mm-hmm. if a young man like me if a boy like me with every conceivable advantage in life mm-hmm. can get caught in addiction and shame and hopelessness mm-hmm. then who else can and is and isn't speaking about it yeah, I mean, I have resources, or I mean, I have individuals to speak to. Mm. You know, yeah, they might not. Yeah, and so that's one of the factors that we look. You know, we I've looked into it when I'm creating this documentary. Also, when interviewing individuals, one thing about me as a director and as a producer, I have an integrity. So, when selecting the individuals that were going to be in this project. I spoke to them multiple times on the phone prior to them signing any consent forms, prior to any filming, just to get their fit, their feel, to make them comfortable with me. And every single person in the documentary told me, Michael, I'm giving you my story because I want to help somebody. Right now, I feel like I'm in a place where I have no, no help or no hope, but maybe my story may inspire or help somebody else, you know. And so I thought that was very admirable of those individuals who decided to, you know, to do the documentary, to let us in their world, to see how they function, to see how they move. I just thought that was incredibly, incredibly important. And, um, you know, I'm very grateful to that because I feel like it's, it's helping people. Um, the places I've been in different countries and in cities around the U.S., I believe that it's sparked a layout and a layer for people to discuss what is going on with black, queer, and Latino men and this thing called meth? I hope it has. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think yeah. we saw the screening last night. Many mm-hmm. people just really taken aback. Right. I mean, I know what they're talking about in the documentary. Mm-hmm. I've been there. 
I mean, not there. <laughs> no, right? but I understand what you're saying. You see what I'm saying? I've been in those spaces. Mm-hmm. I want to help elucidate for people that this isn't dramatic, mm-hmm. right? That, you know, a, a documentary about crystal meth is coming at the right time. Right. When is really it? <laughs> it might be a little late, actually, right? Before any, <laughs> you know, as yeah. um, the doctor said last night on the panel, she said, mm-hmm. you know, if, if someone comes to me six months after... Mm-hmm. They're in the throes of a crystal meth addiction. It's too late. Right. <laughs> I mean, you're you're already into it, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. Well. The urgency of the moment, mm-hmm. on so many levels. Right. Right. In the U.S., mm-hmm. him mm-hmm. number forty-five here, our government, <laughs> all over the world. Right. It feels like a very urgent time. It can also feel like a very confusing time. It can mm-hmm. feel, you know, a young man reached out to me on Twitter today to say, Mm-mm. <laughs> I don't know where to start. Right. Where do we start? Um, for me, like I said, I, I'm not the healthcare expert nor the psychologist or psychiatrist uh, that can lend out all the tools that an individual may need. But what I can do from myself as an artist, as a film director, as a producer, is to imitate life from what I see dealing with this subject and to put it out there for the world to see, just to create a foundation of conversation and talk and make sure that people are not afraid to speak their minds and people don't feel that they have a stigma labeled on them just because they may have participated in that drug, they may have the drug in their past, or they may be currently on it. And one of the biggest things I've learned in producing this film was don't judge everybody right off the bat, you know. Yeah, or at all. You know, or at all. (laughs) And so, you know, everyone goes through something, Mm. you know. And sometimes it's worth knowing the story of people and find out what's going on with them mentally or physically or psychologically. And... You know, try to lend a hand or give encouragement words or support. And I think that's a lot of trauma when especially dealing with the black and Latino queer communities. I feel like sometimes people have this self-hate mm-hmm. amongst their own tribe mm-hmm. of individuals. <laughs> you know, you can go into a store and you can see another gay black man but for some reason you won't acknowledge you will walk by you won't say nothing Mm -hmm. but let it be a white woman or some young hipster or something cool you may possibly say something to them Mm -hmm. but if we rewind it back why wouldn't you say nothing to that brother is because he may be more feminine than you are Mm -hmm. is it because he I mean you know you get what I'm saying Mm -hmm. so you know I think it deals with a lot of you know having to really evaluate yourself do self-reflection and just so you know, party, I, it, just, it just occurred to me that mm-hmm. Party Boy is actually asking us to take a step back. And that just uh, yeah. that just dawned on me, <laughs> right? It, it, what you've done is you've created a piece of work mm-hmm. that is talking about a current state of affairs, mm-hmm. as in we, we we are here, right? We are in the middle of a problem mm-hmm. that nobody's talking about, that is underreported. Mm-hmm. The data hasn't been gathered on it. We're looking at places like the CDC who have yet to do mm-hmm. this. And yet a young upstart filmmaker can go out and do um, the field work. Because I'm there. Because you're there, right? You're on the ground. Mm -hmm. But actually, what we have to try to figure out as a community, as as brothers, Mm -hmm. as siblings, um, is to to say, okay, well, what gets us to this place? Mm -hmm. 
right? So Party Boy is, is where we can go. Right. <laughs> Party Boy is where we can keep going, mm-hmm. i.e. on the trajectory that we're already on, right. which is one of shame and stigma and silence. Mm-hmm. Or we can start to peel back those layers, right. all these lessons we've learned. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and some of these lessons are good and bad. Right, right, right. A lot of people ask me, Michael, why didn't you do a, a ending checkup on everybody on the movie and get, see somebody getting help so it could be a little bit positive? I didn't make the movie for that. Mm-mm. Also, that is not how life works. <laughs> yeah, life doesn't work like, Sorry, you know, so you went through a tough time. Mm. Now we're sum up everything and make it a happy ending at the end. Oh, no. No, I wanted oh, to hear some sunshine. Right. Yeah. I wanted to leave it open. Mm. I left it open. I, I left people wondering about the individuals who participated in that film. I wonder what happened to Jorge. I wonder what happened to TK and Andre. Are they still in Brooklyn or are they in jail? What's going on? You know, I wanted it open. I wanted to have an open end. So psychologically and creatively through watching that visual, you can then put yourself in that place and say, well, then what would I do? You know, what happened if I was selling and mm-hmm. I had no other option or I felt that I had no other option? Or what happened if I was the one who was doing escorting work? Or I'm a transgender woman or a transgender man and I've been doing sex work for the past 10 years and now I want to stop. I could put myself in certain people's shoes within that documentary. And then on top of that, uh, this film started off as a 15-minute short. It was just supposed to be 15 minutes. I was going to talk about Crystal Meth is hitting the black community. I don't know what's going on. Do you know what's going on? And just kind of leave it as that, an open-ended kind of form to where people just start creating buzz, start talking. But what happened is I continued to discover panels after pan- panels. One door would open up and I'd say, oh, okay, the ballroom is connected to this. Okay, the ballroom's connected to a little bit of what was going on with GRID, you know, gay-related immunodeficiency disease, you know, before they called it HIV. You know, uh, okay, this had to do with the Stonewall incident. This had to do with Harvey Milk. And this had to do with this and that and this and that. And the doors just kept opening. So I said, let me address it. Even when we talked about the migration of slaves in America that moved from the south to the north and found a home Mm -hmm. in the north, especially in New York City, and particularly Harlem, which was thriving at the time. So people were going in droves trying to find work, trying to find jobs. But also in that same space, we also had a queer community now. You know? Well, two things happened, I think. Yeah. (laughs) One, we got that queer community. Mm -hmm. But our proximity to... Whiteness mm-hmm. <laughs> changed. Yeah. Oh, so, yes. Most definitely. Which I think is, uh, is something we, should, we ought to note mm-hmm. and not be scared to note. Right. One of the elders last night said our proximity to whiteness is dangerous. Mm. That's what he got. Well, I mean, he's got that from life experience. But right, right. Yeah, he wanted to remind yeah. me because of, after seeing Party Boy that our proximity to whiteness is dangerous. Sometimes, you know, I've I've talked to fellow friends and some of them said sometimes I feel like an object, you know, something to be used, uh, something to not be seen as permanent, Mm. you know, something for the moment, uh, appropriating certain situations for benefits. You understand what I'm saying? Yes, you can say it. (laughs) (laughs) So that's why in creating this, I am unapologetically direct about who I spoke about. I mean, I was there in the editing process. I'm sitting there editing and creating the production script. And a lot of people spoke 
about the white man this, the white man that. I'm not going to sugarcoat anything. I'm going to be very direct. And for a lot of people in their situations, that's the avenue that it came from. Absolutely. Ben, I, I noted that during, this, during the documentary. I wrote that down because mm-hmm. I was like, this is connected. Mm-hmm. If we if we look so over the course of Party Boy, we mm-hmm. meet a number of people who um, are in the throes of addiction, who um, are, are past it, mm-hmm. um, or who might be kind of considering it. Right. And um, all of them in the throes of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think you said twenty nine out of thirty two mm-hmm. um, had that introduction through um, white people. Right. Mm-hmm. I thought it was interesting that. So many of those people were escorts, if not all of them. Um, And it made me kind of step back and go, the objectification of the black body Mm. and our role as commodities, as services. Right, because you saw the gentleman Michael in the documentary. He said when when he was 18 years old or 16 years old, he ran away from home. He put his clothes in a trash bag and moved to L.A. Mm -hmm. When he got out of the bus depot, he ended up meeting a writer of a very famous TV show and said, I'm going to make you my dealer. And this is what you're going to do, you know. And because he was in need, because based off his poverty and moving away from home or running away from home, uh, he fell into that that. any you know, of us could do that. I mean, you wouldn't and suspect that. that you yeah. would then become a crystal meth addict. Yeah. You know, and <laughs> you know no one's moving to LA to say, yeah. you know, some big time right. director's going to scoop me up and make me his dealer. And the thing was, um, speaking to him personally, um, he didn't say, I'm going to start selling crystal meth. I'm going to sell the meth and I'm going to have sex with the people that you advised me to have sex with, which are friends of yours. You know, mm-hmm. once again, the black man being used as a physical object, a commodity, something that just use and then pass on, you know. And it wasn't until he started being engaged in the scene where people were doing that. I think it was very graphic and seeing at the very beginning, he said, you know, there was a guy that was, you know, giving oral pleasure mm-hmm. and he spit two cc's of crystal. Right off the bat, the reason I put that in because I wanted to garner people's attention right off the bat with no problems for them to know that this is what it is and this is how graphic it is. And now it's even getting to a point, and it's not in the documentary, but to where people are getting liquid GHB. I mean, if people don't know mm-hmm. two cc's of crystal meth, mm-hmm. that is a unreal amount to be giving anyone, mm-hmm. much less someone without their knowledge right and right <laughs> and um it's just getting to a point to where it's 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 becoming out of control and now um it's not in the movie but now a lot of what people are doing is um, to get people addicted to get clientele is to put a ghb liquid ghb inside of lube and to shake it up and full so it can be absorbed into the body which it does and the person becomes and in goes into this euphoric state and they're really not in their right mind. And then this is when they break out the crystal meth. So now you have an automatic oh customer God, based off them coming to you because they wanted sex. Right. And this was, and the escorts that I spoke to and multiple escorts told me this. Um, a lot of them didn't want to be on the fi- in the film. Uh, where they said, yeah, I went to this white guy's house in upper Manhattan, um, in the lower, I mean, the upper west side, which is very affluent. Mm -hmm. And um, he was going to pay me hundreds of dollars, but then he brought out the meth and he said he would pay me more to participate in it. And once I did, I didn't care no more. I didn't care anymore about the money. 
it was about the crystal, you know. Mm. And then, like I told people last night in the Q&A, what do you think happened to Johnny, who came from Brooklyn to Manhattan to Escort, and now he's addicted to the crystal meth? Is he going back to Wellington Heights? Is he going back to the Upper East Side or West Side? Or is he going to his Trump Tower apartment? No. He's going back to Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. He's going back to the South Bronx. And he's introducing it to his significant other to his friends to people in his community now we start to create the domino effect it, it means that we cannot ignore the overlapping that has for that, that has happened between white people and black people for so long mm-hmm. and that sounds kind of very segregationist which is not what i mean mm-hmm. but rather to say that you know these desires these unchecked desires mm-hmm. um the disparities that exist between our communities, mm-hmm. they overlap somehow. Yeah. Right? And they don't just overlap, they collide. They collide. Right? And yeah. they're colliding in Upper West Side apartments, right. in beautiful penthouses here in London, mm-hmm. um, in, their, you know, yeah. in many places. Oh, I'm sure, yeah. And the, it has a ripple mm-hmm. that, that is pulsing yeah. throughout our community now, today. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I think, I was just thinking of a very kind of like tenuous link, mm-hmm. but this idea, I, I, some women I know today were talking about, stop asking us for free advice. Stop asking us for free work. These are black women. Mm. Stop asking us for free stuff. Mm. Right? Like, we're doing work. If you want our work, you pay for it. Right. And I can't help but see a parallel between... The objectification of black people historically, mm-hmm. both as and being sold as commodities and kept yeah. as property, yeah. and this very present day reality that we're living in, whereby on one hand professionals are being asked for free work, and sex workers are being addicted to crystal meth. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Personally, like speaking to friends and and, and whatnot, um, we would have conversations, and I would tell them, I said, you know, I've had experiences where. Uh, not to put like so much business out there, but I keep it honest and I keep it direct, mm-hmm. and I'm hoping this can help somebody. I've had experiences where, you know, I would go to meet a guy that I'll be interested in, and I go to his house, and he's walking to the door with underwear, and I'm like, this is peculiar. Why? Why would you just walk to the to the door with underwear? And then I walked into the apartment, and then I see like an older white man sitting mm-hmm. there. I'm like, hold on, now what's going mm-hmm. on? You're like 24, and he like he's about 58. Right. What kind of connection is this? Mm-hmm. And I found out not only that same story happens with a lot of people. I see. And you say, what is this? Mm-hmm. You know what that is? That common factor is drugs, mm-hmm. meth, mm-hmm. money in that aspect, you know, but mainly drugs, you yeah. know. Because and now and to be person, clear, I've seen this um, among white people as well. So okay, this is not this is not an exclusively mm-hmm. um, black white relationship, right. and rather perhaps speaks actually to the kind of predatory um, mm-hmm. behavior of um, older men, men in general, predominantly yeah. white. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, and is it very much about the gay kind of Me Too movement as well, mm-hmm. and this kind of understanding that, uh, that I've spoken on before. That we have that again as mm-hmm. as as gay men, you know, right. strip away your race. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's hard to do, but mm-hmm. strip it away. And, and as gay people, um, as gay men, we're very much measured on our body, mm-hmm. what we look like, and so oh, yeah. you know what we're talking about now as well with with black gay men mm-hmm. is how those two 
realities. Yeah. My my body as a commodity as a black man. Right. My body as a commodity as a gay man. Mm-hmm. And those two smash together. Right, right. And we have a very unique experience. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think where we we've learned from two different strands mm-hmm. that were commodities. And these are, you know, black, queer blackness is to be celebrated. Right. But it is also something about which we need to be wary, right? Like that, mm-hmm. this comes with. I feel like. Danger. I feel like as you grow, no matter what your age is, because I, I feel like I can learn from a 20 year old. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? I feel like I can learn from somebody who's 50 and 40 and 32 and whatever different ages. But we spoke about self hate, you know? And one of my theories, one of the things I've kind of concluded, too, is that I just feel, especially me being now a gay black man in my 30s, I feel like I need to be a role model to some degree, you know, and put positive energy out there and and don't fall so much into the social stigma of popularity. Mm -hmm. This idea that you have to have perfect body image popularity, things of this nature, things that we are seeing every day in the palm of our hand, which is that social media, you know, comparing your life to that. I I feel like that has played some kind of role in the self-image of gay black men, you know, also the no fats, no films, no freeze kind of movement to where now you're segregating a group of people or a group of men that may be feminine and, and cast them as unwanted and a lot of that pr- puts pressure on people. And I think a coping mechanism is using drugs. And, is, and drugs yeah. come in many different factors. It could be, you know, crystal methamphetamine. It could be weed. It could be coke. It could be alcohol. It, it could be even food. be food. Yeah. You know? Yeah, absolutely. So coping mechanisms to, to medicate the spirit, to medicate the soul, mm. to be able to go through life or just, you know, cruise, you know? So... I feel like those those elements play um, a factor. And one of the things I want to do um, is project positivity amongst my own people, amongst my peers, uh, amongst my younger gay black men and black Latino men, and let them know that, you know, they're valuable stones to be seen. And that even if I don't know you, whether you're sexy, whether you feel that you're not sexy, whether you may feel like you're overweight or whatever the case may be, you're still beautiful. And I'm going to talk to you and I'm going to say, hello, brother, how you doing? You know, and I think if we start projecting that out there, we're setting every day, daily, a tone that may change one person, one person, you know. So, you know, I hope the film helps, you know. Well, thank you for doing it because in ref- it's it sent me into a deep state of reflection, mm-hmm. which I'm, I'm already in anyway, right? Kind of right, on the regular, right. but mm-hmm. um, to yeah, it was it was a really it felt like a very personal and, and private experience. So to share it publicly, I'm busy being black feels um, makes me feel vulnerable. Mm-hmm. But um, I was like that that could be me, right? Right. Not totally and not in a like, oh, I'm black and this happens to black people, but like, mm-hmm. no, that could literally be me. Mm-hmm. I understand, I understand so deeply what they're talking about. Right. And, and it doesn't fall, sorry in the road, it doesn't fall just on people who are going through poverty. It falls on people across the line. There's mm-hmm. people I've known that had Ivy League educate, um, they were Ivy League educated, went to Harvard, went to Yale, had families that were well to do, and they're on crystal meth. Yeah, well, actually, it, it, it's it's a it's a red herring that it might be um, poverty alone. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. 
you know, the, it, is, it sneaks up upon those of us who are like, I'm fine, I'm over here, I live in this, you know, right. <laughs> I'm over here in this tower, right, I'm okay. Right, right. And it's right. like, oh, actually, you'll find that you're not, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> because it's everywhere. And I think, you know, what we have to be able to speak about is, and openly and honestly, is, mm-hmm. is, this, is where we are. Right. Hey, I'm seeing a rise in crystal meth use in London. Mm-hmm. Oh, hey, that correlates to a rise in crystal, in crystal meth use among black men in New York. Right. Um, wait, maybe so we have something on our hands here. Something is going on here, you and know? What do we have to lose? And actually, it's a, it's a great question to end on. What do we have to lose? And mm-hmm. I think if we ask that of... It's hard to ask that of ourselves sometimes because I don't think that we always feel like we have anything to lose. Mm-hmm. I think for those of us, even who are privileged, mm-hmm. who suffer from depression or shame or mm-hmm. addiction or any a number of things, they might not necessarily feel like they have something to lose. Their family might view it differently. Mm-hmm. And we might view it differently as a community. Yeah. I think that is so true. And... Um Nothing says more to that. When I spoke to uh, um, Miss Nixon, which is the mother of Jamel Moore, and uh, you know, um, a woman who lost her son to a crystal meth overamp, which is like an overdose mm-hmm. of crystal methamphetamine, and you know, I speak his name, and we want to bring justice to his case, and we don't want him to be a lone star that got lost amongst many because people deemed him as unworthy because of maybe the work that he was participating in but he's still at the end of the day like his mother said he has people who are on meth have people that love them that care about them that want to see them do better you know and i think we should take the words of miss nixon and put them to our use too and embrace each other as black men as latino men even our white brothers embrace each other and not place so much stigma and body shaming and things of this nature on each on each other that would bring people to states of depression and not wanting to feel belong. I mean, not wanting to have a place of belonging, you know. So Party Boy is about that, you know. So I'm working on a distribution deal right now. So hopefully, fingers crossed, everything will go good and it will be out internationally. And um, I'm so excited to be here with you. I wish you every, honestly, every single success with Party Boy and and with everything that you do, actually, because Mm -hmm. it is so important that those of us who can speak and you're doing that. So thank you. Oh, thank you so much. Michael Rice is a documentarian based in New York City, and his film Party Boy is a potent and timely reminder that there are countless lives not deemed valuable or worthy enough for attention. As always, though, there is hope, and that hope is black. In partnership with 56 Dean Street and Team Prepster, our brothers at Blackout UK have launched a survey to find out more about how chemsex is affecting queer black people in the UK. Please help spread the word. You can find links and hashtags in our show notes. Busy Being Black is the podcast exploring how we live in the fullness of our queer black lives. Thank you to our partners, UK Black Pride and Blackout UK, and to you, the listeners. I would love to hear from you. If you have feedback about Busy Being Black or know of someone I should be in conversation with, please get in touch on busybeingblackpod at gmail.com. 
And remember, your support doesn't cost any money. Please rate, review, and share this podcast and follow at underscore busybeingblack on Twitter and Instagram, where you can join the conversation using the hashtag busybeingblack. Finally, thank you to Anthony Giles, a queer black Grammy-nominated producer based in New York City, for these bomb-ass Busy Being Black beats. Ashe. This autumn, as the nights draw in, beat the cold with Now TV. Curl up with the latest blockbusters, including Bohemian Rhapsody and Hotel Mumbai. Plus, with over 40 new movies added each month, from Aquaman to How to Train Your Dragon 3, Now TV's got you covered, wherever you feel like watching. Get cosy with the latest and best movies for just $11.99 a month. Search Now TV today. 18 plus month passes auto renews unless cancelled. Terms apply.